0: don't call it soccer podcast. Don't do it. Don't call it soccer, you guys. You don't know what's going to happen, but it is not going to be good. It's not going to be good like Minnesota is not going to be good. It's not going to be good like Mike Pecky's sweater vests are not going to be good. It's not going to be good like so many things. It will be good uh, because I have two really good phenomenal people with me today. Preston Weatherington, how good has your week been? How you doing?
1: we going well. It's been it's been really flying uh, for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, but it's because things, I wasn't
0: here and you were really sad.
1: They, that's exactly what it was. I, I was know. Trying for for the time to pass that way, you can get back here as soon as possible.
0: I gotcha. I'm glad to be
1: here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know you called him out on it. He was doing so well, uh, Manny Beth, you have not had a good day. How are you doing, friend?
2: Oh, uh, it's been rough. You know, I feel like. Uh, UEFA terrorists and everything threw everything at us the last two weeks. So I'm just ready to say goodbye to Champions League football, maybe European football altogether and just um, focus on Liga MX and maybe Bundesliga and maybe uh, you, some Major League Soccer. Yeah,
0: there you go. <laughs> you were going to leave that one out there.
2: Oh, I was, you know, I've been thinking. (laughs) It's been a rough day. (laughs)
0: Thinking is hard. Don't worry. Preston's got you covered. Preston, um, we'll just make you start. How's that?
1: That sounds good to me.
0: Great. You want to start with, I don't know, Texas? What's going on down there?
1: Um, You know, it's Texas. I mean, with FC Dallas, uh, they had quite a disappointing game over the weekend uh, drawing in the very last 30 seconds of the game to a ridiculous defensive error, which uh, caused us to draw, caused Dallas to drop two points.
0: This is not, I mean, you guys have a pretty solid defense. So I, I won't ask you if you're surprised. Um, but I will ask you if you're anxious going forward.
1: I'm not. I'm not terribly anxious. Uh, there seemed to be some rotation. Hernan Grana did not play as the right back for some reason. Don't know if there's an injury or what was going on. He didn't. He didn't make the trip. And on that goal, is actually shockingly similar to uh, the winner that Pachuca scored in the Concacaf semifinals. Uh, so that stung a little bit. Just sort of reminiscing on what was so fresh a couple of weeks ago, but. Atiba Harris just just totally messed up. Uh, was not marking his man, which caused Walker Zimmerman to lose track of of his guy going forward. And uh, it was really just a lobbed ball across the eighteen yard box that somehow stumbled into the back of the net, uh, getting past Walker Zimmerman and Jesse Gonzalez.
0: Jesse Gonzalez, what a great first name! <laughs>
1: <It's>, <laughs>
0: Manu, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you represent all of Canada here since you, for the first time, I believe, are a lone Canadian. Can you handle it?
2: Oh, absolutely. Okay, great.
0: So we had some, some sort of highlights and lowlights in your, in your great country. Toronto had their very first loss of the season, but Montreal had a phenomenal, really exciting game. So where do you want to start? I'll give you, I'll give you the choice since you did not have a good day. (sighs)
2: I start with Montreal because...
1: Right, take it away. Did
2: you guys see that game winner? Oh my wow. goodness. It, that was um, quite amazing. And I mean, it was an extra time too. And against an excellent Atlanta United side, I guess we're, we're going to talk about it a bit more um, at some stage because, you know, the questions are, the wheels off a little bit. But that uh, game winner by Anthony Jackson Hamill, oh, um, that was incredible. You know, the way he plays it with his heel and... Hits the inside of the post and and goes in. it's just an amazing goal. So, you know, I guess for Montreal, we 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 talked about them in the last couple parts. Home, they haven't had a great start to the season, and we were wondering whether you know that's a little bit of MLS Cup hangover. But that's a great way to to kickstart the season, I think. And uh, with Toronto, we've kind of seen it coming, you know, because. That was another topic that we had last week is how they were undefeated, but they weren't that great. Right, Preston? I mean, that was one of the things that you highlighted is the fact that, yes, you know, they were undefeated, but they weren't actually winning that many games.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, looking at their current record, they have one win, five draws and one loss now. So it's not like that. They're it's not like that. They're world beaters at the moment. And uh, it it just further proved it this weekend, uh, getting their first loss and they're just dropping down the table. Even though that statistically they only have one loss, but they're not—they're not necessarily impressing.
2: No, they are definitely not. And I mean, that's something that maybe another—you know—MLS Cup final hangover. Um, I saw the other team last weekend uh, on Friday. The—the um, the team that actually won the MLS Cup final, the Seattle Sounders, and they were in Vancouver, and Vancouver actually won this game, but we're not quite sure how and why. Because when you look at the actual statistics, Seattle was all over Vancouver, but, um, Vancouver have Freddie Montero right now, and he, he made a huge difference in this game. And, um, you know, scoring, scoring the opener, scoring the winner, showing that when you have a all-in-out, full-on striker in your side, you know, how big of a difference that can make in this league. But when you, when you saw the statistics of the game, Seattle had, I think, 65% ball possession, uh, more shots. On goal had clear shots to equalize the game so you know there's still a lot of work to be done by carl robinson and um, brian schmetz at the the press conference afterwards he was let's say angry um, because i don't think he quite understood what happened on the field
1: i just just wanted to briefly touch on freddie montero uh with him getting he he got a brace if i remember correctly and uh, a lot of people forget that freddie montero used to play for seattle so there might have been there might have been a little bit of extra incentive for Montero to to impress and to uh, show his former club what they're missing. He didn't uh, celebrate on either goal. That,
2: that's uh, good. He, I, I applaud that. Because he's still the all-time leading top scorer of Seattle Sounders up to today. Yeah, he is. Um, you know, so he's you know, he's still kept in high regards down there. Typical questions made by one of the reporters to Brian Schmitzer, did you talk? To Freddie Montero before the game and he's like, No. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's he he behaved behaved himself when he's scoring the goals. I always not so sure about when I when I score goals, I don't care who I'm playing for. I think you should be celebrating it. But I guess everyone handles it differently and um you get a lot of attention when you don't score, don't you? Uh when you don't celebrate that goal score. There's this the making the that you don't celebrate seems to be almost um a expected. celebration in itself, yeah. And it's it's, it's it like it. look at it, and then everyone talks about it, right? That's that's something that I always notice. That it's like, oh yeah, he used to play for this club, and, and now he's not celebrating. So, uh, I'm not sure. I think when you when you when you play football, it's all about passion, and I, it's I find it always uh, kind of weird when you do not celebrate. To be kind of, kind of uh, quite honest about it.
1: I mean, you make a fair point. I, I mean, I just think that at the end of the day, I think it's more of a sign of respect. Uh, to the fans rather than intentionally celebrating to get under people's skins, because at the end of the day, they, those fans supported, supported that player at some point during their career. And I think it's more so trying to show a sign of respect. Unless, I mean, unless they're more of like a scapegoat to their former club, then i would probably give them more reason to celebrate to sort of intentionally get under their skin. But I mean, I respect it whenever players choose to not celebrate Mm -hmm. uh, just because of uh, Being more sympathetic towards his former fans,
0: guys. Let's talk about Atlanta for a little bit because they did lose in this exciting late game clash with Montreal. You know, we we know that Joseph Martinez is, is is injured and and that was a big loss. But what are you guys seeing with this new expansion team? Is this is a sort of like expansion growing pains? Is this something that you're worried about? Are is is this just? a team that has had faced really great teams and these are, these are ordinary losses. What are, what are you sort of, what are you thinking Manu?
2: Yeah, I think some of it is growing pain, but the, the one thing that I've noticed throughout this game is the fact that Montreal seemed to get a lot of space in the running game. So what they did quite well is um, the, the quick counter attacks and the, the high balls over the defensive line and finding a lot of space now, funnily enough, that's also the way Atlanta scored their, their opening goal. But at that point, you know, they were, were outplayed and outshot. So, you know, it, it is the kind of football that is played in the league. I, ha- I had a very interesting conversation with a Chilean uh, journalist on, on the weekend who was uh, in Vancouver next to me in the press box. And he said, it's, it's very interesting how the league operates because they have all these South American players, but then they expect them to play. In this North American athletic style, Tata Martino is obviously trying to change that, right? He's trying to change the way football is being played and the way his team is playing. But I wonder because the the, the, the large majority of his players are, you know, there, there is a core of South Americans and a core of Latinos, but the vast majority have learned to play in this league and have grown up in this environment where you know athleticism is more important than tactical and technical ability. And I wonder if this is just, you know, A, the opposition has figured them out, and B, his team is just struggling to consistently play what he's demanding from them. And that's fair enough. We're six games into the season. It's a lot of traveling. It's a different league. It's a different environment, right? I mean, we've seen them play in snow, we've seen him play in rain. We've now going into spring, it's getting warm. It's just it's just very different than any of the experiences that Tata Martino had in the past. So I think he's an excellent coach. I think he will figure it out. But I think this is what's just going to happen either way.
0: Preston, why don't you chime in? What are you thinking here?
1: You know, I really don't have too much more to add. I feel like that Money really hit it on the head. Uh, but I definitely feel that it is growing pains that uh, I mean, prior to the season, none of these players played together and it's gonna you're gonna go through your ebbs and flows uh, throughout the season. And not I mean, there there's hardly many times that that an expansion side will make it into the playoffs into their first season. Granted, this is a completely different setup than any other expansion team has really approached it. But, I mean, yeah, losing Joseph Martinez was a big loss, but Atlanta is way more than just Joseph Martinez. Bringing in guys like Greg Garza, uh, Miguel Almiron, Yamil Asad, really good players that have been playing for a while and, know how to and know how to win games i I just feel like that's they're that they're struggling to gel and struggling to adapt to all like like mine said having to adapt to all the different climates and adapting to all the travel that uh that this i feel like that this season is just going to be sort of an adjustment for the entire for the entire organization and understanding that it's probably not quite what they expected so with all that being said uh Atlanta has a very strong team. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of how how quickly they can gel once again and start uh, getting more points on the table.
0: And we're looking at them this weekend facing Mike Pecky in his sweater vest, hopefully. Be still my heart. Um, a couple weeks ago, we would have said, without a doubt, this would be Atlanta's, right? But... <sighs> I don't know, you guys, Real Salt Lake, both, both because of where Atlanta has been, and also shockingly, somehow, how, I'm going to ask you, where Real Salt Lake is going? How has this happened?
2: Yeah, maybe I'll jump in on that, because I actually did see them play my side in the snow a couple weeks ago, and I thought, um, you know, lots was made off the snow and the fact that it was difficult to play in, but you have to remember both teams have to play in it. And I thought we also like were excellent. Like, as poor as Vancouver were in that game, we also like were very good and very well organized. They didn't they weren't faced by the conditions that were thrown at them, you know, when we're talking tons of snow um at a time of the year where this this amount of snow is really not normal. They were excellent. And then, you know, the performance against Colorado, I thought they were quite good as well. So, Petke has done something and I think what he's done. And, you know, we, we were, remember when we talked about Real Salt Lake and how it kind of surprised us that they, um, were franchise in trouble because they were always considered one of those teams that may have managed very well and they have some very good players in their side. Um, you know, starting from the back all the way forward. And I was, I was kind of surprised that they were in trouble to begin with. So I think what they just needed, they needed someone to just, reorganize them, give them some pep talks and just get the structure right of the squad. And he's done that in very short order. Now, the question is, can he do it long term, right? That's always a new coach starting out. It's always the hardest thing to do is um, you have a honeymoon period. And then when the honeymoon kind of wears off, can you sustain your tactical um, elements that you bring in? Can you sustain the relationship with the players? So I think that will be the big question mark for him.
0: And listen, he did this incredibly with the Red Bulls. Having said that, he you know, he had played with them as a long time, so he had a, a long-term relationship, but he has been in and around the league for a long enough time that I think he has a relationship with these players, um, having played with them, having coached on opposing teams. So I, I see this going going well, and it's not just because, you know, I don't know if I've mentioned before, but, I, you
1: know, I have
0: a... I have feelings. I have strong feelings about Mike Becky. Um, but I do Just think like- that. Sorry, Preston, do you want to comment no, on so my he feelings?
1: Slightly, he has strong feelings. Yeah, strong so.
0: feelings. Um, but I, I, you know, I've, I've watched him on the sidelines with New York and I, he's the kind of coach who never sits down. You know, he's, he's calling his players by name. He's a fingernail biter. You know, he is as emotionally invested, I think, as, as a coach can be. And it's really, it's, it's fascinating to watch him relate to his players you know he's he's gotten himself thrown out of games before but I'm I'm really fascinated to see where this one's gonna go
1: before we move on uh from Pecky and Real Salt Lake I, I can to... keep
0: talking about Mike Pecky as long as you want Russell Brotherington. <laughs> you go for it
1: before we jump uh into the next topic but I want to touch on what uh Manu is talking about with honeymoon periods and new managers that honeymoon period is going to end very quickly for key and Real Salt Lake. Uh, looking at their next month, they've got uh, Atlanta United and unbeaten Sporting Kansas City and FC Dallas. They face New England Revolution after that, and then a red-hot NYCFC. So their next month is going to be very difficult for Salt Lake. Uh, they're going to be traveling uh, across the country as well for that as also. So they're going to be facing some pretty big obstacles over the next four weeks.
0: Can we just talk about NYCFC for a second? Definitely.
1: Specifically,
0: one man, specifically one man's goal. Manu, where am I going with this one?
2: I have no idea. Really? I must have been living a bit on the other side of the moon. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I saw it.
0: <laughs> Is there anyone, even, I don't know, moon people who did not see David Vizier's goal or the reaction to David Vizier's goal? Because I'm pretty sure that the man in the moon heard. The, the uproar the that took place when David Vigia scored that goal—he
2: must have, because the ball was looped so high that it almost hit the moon. <laughs> I mean, it, this is this is ridiculous. The the the, the trajectory of this ball is, is how is that even humanly possible? It's not. He is it, from it, another it's world. not
0: humanly possible. It's only possible if you are a very small Spanish player, and and only David Vigia could score. Well,
2: when, um, you, when you look at the way he strikes the ball, too, so he he does he kind of. Hits it with his laces, but sort of, you know, and it has like a backspin, and then it just goes straight up in the air. That's oh, a remarkable goal. My it's, favorite thing,
0: really, aside from the reactions of 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 everyone on Twitter, were the reaction, the facial reactions of the of the players around him.
1: They're like, "No, you didn't." It's <laughs> really, it's
0: pretty phenomenal to watch. Like, oh, that's it, really.
1: Andre <laughs> Blake had no chance at all to save yeah. that. No, that Not was in the slightest.
0: Um, both because of the goal and from and where it came from, like Manu said, you're not expecting this to happen and And then you know, it was this goal, and Kyle Laren's goal, which was sort of Kyle Laren's response, I think, to David Vija's goal in his game, came pretty close. I have to say, Kyle Laren um, aiming to be the Canadian David Vija, perhaps. Manu, would you give that to him? Could he do it?
2: Oh no, not yet. I think, you know, as with our other two talents that we have in the league right now, he has to do, I think he's in the right trajectory as a player in his development. It's hard to say where these guys at, right? Because the, the, the they, I don't want to get into that too deeply, but the big problem is we don't get our Canadian national team um, playing in a lot of competitive games these days. So, you know, playing MLS is one thing, but he has to kind of show it playing for his country and maybe n- not just playing in MLS at some point, m- moving abroad and playing there and showing it there. That's going to be a big step. And I mean, when I say moving abroad and showing it there, I don't mean uh, a second division in England or third division in England. I mean, you know, a competitive league until then. Yes, it's, it's great that he's scoring. He's scoring a lot of goals and his, he's, he's certainly looking very, very talented, but I think for for Canada, we we need to see these guys go abroad, and we need to see them play, and we need to see our national team play more competitive games.
1: I'm um. I, I you really brought that up because that's been the mentality for uh, the United States the last probably like 10 15 years, and recent until like the last three or four years is that there's been a little bit more of a push. Uh, granted, it might have been a little bit uh, in defiance of Jurgen Klinsmann of uh, of guys like Josie Altador, Michael Bradley coming back to the United States, Brad Guzan coming back uh, this summer, and various uh, American internationals coming back home from abroad. Uh, so I, I, I like that you brought that up, Manu. That uh, right now Canada, uh, in the stage that they're at, uh, they don't they don't have a lot of quote unquote stars a part of their a part of their national team, and uh, they're not going to be able to really increase their level of talent to increase their level of play until they actually do move abroad and to get into uh, higher quality competition. And it probably won't be for another 10 or 15 years, uh, like a similar trajectory that the United States went through, is that Canadian internationals would be ready to come back to their domestic league and to help promote the game and to promote the grassroots in that way whenever there's a little bit more uh, established star power within Canada.
2: I'm glad you brought this up, too, because I think what we have to keep in mind, too, is how much money these Americans are making that are coming back as in comparison to what they made in, in Europe. And we're, we're talking about guys like Bradley and Altidore, you know, who make tons of money playing for Toronto, and they did not make that kind of money in Europe. So I think the incentive, and Dempsey is another example, right? So the incentive isn't just coming back in defiance of clean smoke, but it's it's a it was financial Financial incentive to come back, and I actually think it, and I still believe this. This has actually hurt the United States national team more than it benefited it. I think these guys are still better off playing abroad, uh, at least the top top players, and because it's it's just a different competitiveness at this point. And I think Klinsmann was absolutely right about that, and that's why he was in constant conflict with the league. And I ultimately believe it was one of the reasons why that cost him his job, is because. You know, he, he's, he was, he realized that the league, yes, was getting better, but it wasn't getting better fast enough for him to develop the team to that next level. And people coming back to get a paycheck rather than seeking out, fighting for a position and starting 11s. And and Bradley is a good example for that. Um, you know, is, is completely when you, when you look at the world that Klinsmann comes from, which is this ultimate, ult, very competitive world of German football. And he's then moved to Italy, to Serie A at the time when Serie A was the most competitive league in the world, you know, learning Italian when he was 18 years old so he could make that move. And I think that was the expectations that he had to his players and it just wasn't met. And I think that is the ultimate expectation that every player should have, that they should go to not just follow the money trail, but they should also go to where they can be challenged the most. Because only if they challenge the most every day, and I don't mean just in games, I mean in practice can they develop into the kind of players that can help you win on the international level? You see that with Germany, you know, their core of players that won the world cup was made out of the players that from Borussia Dortmund and Bayern München and the year before they reached the Champions League final. So they were in the very top level, right? And that's where you want the majority of your players to go. And I think this is true for Canada. It's true for the United States. And that's one of the things that worries me perhaps a little bit about this designated player rule that, it, it's an incentive to make sure that these players don't go abroad. In one way, you don't want them to go abroad because you want your stars here. But in the other way, for the national team, you want to have them abroad. So it's it's a bit of a you know a very complicated story.
1: For sure, yeah. It's a bit of a catch-22. Uh, I mean, I, if, if you look at the United States, and uh, what a lot of people would say is, is the most exciting player in the men's national team pool right now is a player who's currently playing in Germany, and that's Christian Pulisic. And uh, as an 18 year old, he's I mean, he played in a Champions League quarterfinal uh, just earlier today. He's getting consistent minutes with the Borussia Dortmund first team and getting a from what I heard is that his uh, potential transfer fee is upwards of 30 million pounds right now. How on earth would the MLS be able to any team in MLS be able to afford that kind of transfer fee and then pay his wages? For someone that has that kind of talent and quality and at such a young age, where he's at right now is definitely uh, is definitely where he needs to be and be playing in the highest highest level of competition possible at the club level. And that's gonna do nothing but improve his game and it's gonna ultimately improve the US men's national team.
2: Yeah, and you keep in mind when he went over there, you know, he is he's in a sense a German youth team product because he went over there when he was very young. And, and that, that leads to a very difficult question. Next question, right? Should, should the United States encourage kids like him to go over earlier so that they can learn it? You know, MLS would say no, because they want to give this appearance that they're producing this world-class talent. Any U.S. national team play, coach right now would say, yes, you should. because well, I, it, I think eventually,
0: it, though, the goal is for the MLS to sort of be that for the national team, but that's going to take a very long time.
2: Absolutely, yeah, but it's not there yet, right?
0: No, but so will it even be there? Will the infrastructure be there if we keep sending our youth overseas? No, but at the same time, we are losing that time now by not doing it. So, as Preston said, or as one of you said, it it really is a catch twenty two. You know, you you need to to build that into your system now, but by taking the time to build it in, you are losing what the the talent that you would have by sending, by not sending that, that talent
1: overseas. So they have to for make, de- it's
0: a tough decision to make.
1: Definitely. And I mean, speaking on behalf of what I, of my knowledge of FC Dallas, Fernando Clavijo is uh, the technical director for Dallas. And uh, about a little over a year ago, Dallas lost their top Academy product in Weston McKinney, who is now with uh, Schalke. And, uh, even just earlier this week, Klavijo uh, was in an interview and is talking about how, like, how much he hates losing a top academy product like Weston McKinney, and uh, wishes that that the United States could grow—not necessarily at a quicker rate—but to be able to compete with uh, the likes of these big European clubs that are st- that are taking these uh, academy talents. So I mean obviously Dallas they really take pride in their youth system and having uh, one of the best academy well if not the best academy in the United States. and even though being the even, even though being the best academy in the United States, you're still Dallas is still risking losing their top products to these big European clubs. And ultimately it goes down to what's best what's best for the player and what's best for the development. Should they go down the route of someone like Kellen Acosta and go through the system and ultimately break into the U.S. men's national team? Or should they take that risk and go over to Europe and might or might not uh, be able to uh, be able to exceed in Europe, which could ultimately uh, either do well for the career trajectory or have it just plummet downwards? rather
0: than moving to europe we're going to move to mexico i would say that perhaps we could start sending some of our players there i'm not sure how that's going to work but i will ask you guys who saw this tigres pumas game
2: well who we didn't <laughs> that is the question <laughs> honestly if you if you didn't um
0: you missed out if you didn't is that what you're about to say
2: yeah <laughs> well, I generally, you always feel you're missing out when you when you when you don't watch um, Liga MX. Can we talk about Pumas a bit? Because I I feel they have been everyone's hipster choice in Liga MX starting in the closer including myself.
0: Did you say hipster choice?
2: Oh yeah, we going have to grow beards choice? and
0: like start brewing oh. Pumas. I don't know, like micro yeah. brew in our Pumas basements.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. But, <laughs> but the problem is that I don't know if you guys know the backstory of Frederico Palencia, the head coach. He, he dresses in like these, uh, very well dressed guy, right? He loves heavy metal music. He has his teams playing this really attractive attacking football style, which is a lot of fun to watch. The problem is it, it, it hasn't been working for them. You know, the, the, the ever since they lost that the, the city derby against, uh, Club America, they've been just, you know, yes, they picked up three points against Chippers the, the match day after, but they haven't really been picking up points on a consistent basis since then. And this this four zero defeat yeah, against Yeah, you know
0: Manu? Because if you go to preschool, you learn that there are more important things than looks. I just gave you no,
2: the but it's of not the just the looks.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it's you know, it's the, the the fact the way he's playing. I mean, I, I want to talk about Tickers in the moment too because they they're sort of going through resurrection, but. I, I worry about Pumas because I think Pumas are—they might not make the, the Ligue the playoffs, and that's that is really a shame because you know they were, in my opinion, the most exciting team in the first half of the of the Clausura, and I mean, Preston, we raved about them co- quite a lot, didn't we?
1: Oh yeah, we did, and I was—I I got to actually watch the game earlier today, and goodness, Pumas did not look like a team that was. That was even trying to contend for the Ligia. Uh, T- I don't know if it's just the the disparity in quality between Tigres and Pumas, but uh, I mean, Tigres is in red hot form going into CONCACAF Champions League final. Uh, I mean, Andre uh, Gignac was just a total monster uh, in that game. And uh, really, with how good Pumas usually is and how good Pumas should be, they should not have lost four nil in a game like this
2: one well, when you when you actually backwatch the game remember how many chances pumas had in this game and yet it seems like every time they were going forward they were getting punished on the other side um jürgen Damm and ging Yak were absolutely outstanding in this game and you mentioned the conca champions league uh, final of course the first leg took place on tuesday right and Tigres drew that game one-one against Pachuca, and uh, now I have to go back to Pachuca for the second leg. But I, I'm to get back to Pumas. You know, you almost wonder if, if with three games left, it's yes, it's only two points. But when you look at the teams that are around them, you have uh, Tigres just ahead of them with 19 points, and Tigres. I mean, again, I want to talk about them in a second. They, they're in an upward trajectory and then you have morelia and morelia playing playing against the relegation right They're in the relegation battle they're only one point ahead of last place vera cruz in the relegation battle which is kind of crazy because they're also only one point behind pachuca when it comes to the clausura uh playoff race so you know they could technically make the playoffs and still get relegated which would be odd and i don't think it's going to happen but so you have basically those two teams that are that are collecting points like crazy for two very different reasons the one team sort of trying to uh, save face by still making the playoffs and the other team trying to avoid relegation and then you have you know with that in mind it's it, i find it very difficult to see Pumas you know getting back into this race and making the playoffs yeah how
0: shocking would that be guys for Pumas
2: well it'd be unexpected it's i'm just looking at this the schedule for the last three games and on paper that, that doesn't look too difficult um it doesn't it doesn't so their next game is against Veracruz remember Veracruz is currently lost in the relegation battle and something that we want to touch on as well so Veracruz are going to be desperate for points and then and they ben- are Cruz, actually
0: remember has nothing to lose and everything nothing to gain to, so this is for yeah. me this is not an easy match
2: No, it's not an easy match. And then they're actually playing Monacas. They're playing Morelia um, on match day 16. And another team that's, as I just said, it's an odd one because they're fighting both for the playoffs and against relegation at the same time. Don't you love Mexican football that that's possible? I just think it's hilarious. But they're doing that right now. So there's
0: always something to win and always something to lose. It's super exciting. (laughs)
2: Name me one other league on the planet where it's possible for you to make the playoffs and still get relegated.
0: No, I can't because <laughs> you see, oh, that's
2: just <laughs> awesome, but that's technically could happen. And they, they are facing, you know, the Pumas are playing them. And at that stage, depending on what happened on week 15, you know, that could be a must win for both teams. So that's very difficult. And then, um, maybe this is the, this is the one where, where I can see Pumas depending if that game still matters, because it might not anymore, but they're paying Puebla. Um, and Puebla can technically still get relegated, but it's so unlikely. I think they, they're they seven points out of a relegation spot with only three games left. Um, chances are by the time that game rolls around, Puebla cannot be relegated anymore. So that's maybe um, the easiest of these three games. But looking at that, the the, the two games leading up to that, are the deciding ones, and they're going to be both games that are going to be extremely difficult for them, and in my opinion, must-win games. And the, the thing is, it's must-win games for the other two two teams as well. So it's going to be very interesting to follow. And I think there's a very high chance that they're not going to make the playoffs. And um I hope it's not going to happen, because I, I want Palencia's project to succeed um with Pumas and I want them that football to succeed because you, you want to watch good football you want to see lots of goals but they made some pretty big investments in in January you know bringing in Castillo for example for for quite a bit of money is one and um, we all know that the bosses in any football league want results and if you don't get them there's going to be questions asked.
0: I just want to mention also that this league makes it So difficult for coaches to make any tactical decisions in advance because of what Manu just mentioned, that they never really know with, with more than a day or two in advance where their opposing teams are going to be. And so it's, it's, it's entirely possible that these lineups are going to change super last minute. And so for us, that makes it more exciting. But for the players and the coaches, the anxiety, um, and the pressure never ends. You know, it's just it's constant maneuvering and and constant change because there's just this the schedule and the and the um the various systems that you're playing in are are always being sort of reconstructed and reconfigured.
2: which has also been one of the criticisms of the system, the fact that coaches have to cannot think long term. That everything is short term. I personally think, um, the worst thing that Mexican football could do is to change the league to the European schedule because it is nice and refreshing. And it means that the, the, this, this, this cementation that you have in a lot of European leagues right now that the, you know, roughly where each team is going to finish at the end of the season. You don't get that in Mexico. And it's something that I really personally really enjoy, but I can see that being a nightmare. For for coaches trying to work on this because you're basically just thinking in 17 game periods, right? right? And and then the short playoffs, and you basically can make it into the playoffs. Like Tigris, I think if Tigris make it into the playoffs and they finished eighth, they're still going to be favored to win those playoffs, right? Just because that's how strong they are, which kind of can which kind of can throw everything out of the window. But on the other hand, it it gives the it gives it that really. Really good, unpredictable action, which I like. But the one thing I don't like, I have to write previews for this league, and uh, trying to figure out lineups is uh, a nightmare. You know, I, and
0: I don't. <laughs> I also don't think that any, even a great player, um, could play in this league. I think it takes a very. I think it takes a toll and a demand on a player, um, and I think you see that with the type of players that Liga MX gets that these are players who you know throw themselves physically but also mentally into this league that's the kind of players that you get because they never know where they're going to be and they just you know accept that they're going to be thrown into various positions in various games and they you know they're very they're they're journeymen they are workmanlike players that that tend to come out and into this league um
1: Gingrich is a perfect
2: okay. example for that right Preston, we talked about Guinea quite a bit in the last few days, and he's a perfect example for, for what you just said, Jesse.
1: Yep. Now I was just about to say the exact same thing. Uh, you don't see – I wish I had the stat in front of me. I actually don't even know what the stat is. But I'm curious as to how many European-based players are in Liga MX because I'm sure that, I'm sure that the ratio is so much lower than it is pro- even just up north of the border or even if you can go into Europe. And say the same thing about players from North and South America. That that there's probably a lot less of European-based players playing in Mexico, just because the style is so different. That you're uh, that the way that the the way that the season is set up, the way that the that the way that the playoffs are set up, the way relegation is set up. It's it's so unique compared to the rest of the world that it definitely takes a special kind of player. Uh, if you're not born and bred in that lifestyle.
0: Meno, could you give us sort of an overview, a, a, a summary, um, now that I've said how hard that is, I'm going to make you do it, of the Copa MX final and what we can expect?
2: Well, it's going on right now. And uh, last time I glanced over, I, I think Chivas were winning against, against Morelia. It's it's an odd tournament, isn't it? Because they actually play the the, the cup twice a season. We we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. So it's a bit of an odd tournament that they have, um, basically like they do in the league, a cup winner every half season, and um it's sort of of a, a consolation prize. It feels like for the teams that do not make it into the Cup Champions League, or in previous years the uh, Lieber Doris, so it's, uh, it's an odd one, but Chivas, um, from, from what I've gathered before the, the game kicked off, they were really adamant that they were going to go hard and win this title because they have been titleless for some time. And um, they're having a great Klausura season. They're actually one of the teams that I would keep a very close eye on um, to win perhaps the Klausura. The, the but, you know, from from what I got is that they they sort of see this a potential Koba MX win as a stepping stone towards a successful player because I think what it does um, and Chivas have been very good at that. They have been feeling a lot of young players for the Cobra max and still been very successful in the cup competition. And you know, it gives these players a preparedness for what's going to happen once you get into the legal, um, which I think is um, probably a pretty smart strategy.
0: And now that you mention it and gave me the perfect seamless transition, let's talk about the CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, first leg was Tuesday. So, what I'm going to ask both of you to give me a prediction. What did you see? And based on what you saw, um, how do you think this one's going to play out?
2: Rest, now let you go first on this one.
1: For sure. Yeah. So. Right now, the aggregate is one to one Tigres versus Pachuca. I got to follow Pachuca very closely, obviously, uh, with them playing in the semifinals against FC Dallas. And, Manu, obviously, you pay close attention to Tigres. Uh, Pachuca has a lot of young attacking talents, uh, particularly Herving Lozano uh, is a very special talent. Probably won't be with Pachuca much longer. Uh, they're a team that really breeds their. Youth and really takes pride in uh, their youth setup. However, Tigress has just been on fire. They've been in a league of their own. And, you know, I've got, uh, I'm thinking that Tigress is probably uh, going to come out champion this one. Plus, if I'm not mistaken, Tigress has never won the CONCACAF Champions League before. So I'm pretty sure that's probably uh, their main focus this season, which which is, we've discussed this last week, which is probably why they're struggling in the Klausura is that they've put a hundred percent of their focus into winning this tournament.
2: Yeah. That's what Ricardo Ferretti said when, when he was at the press conference after the the semifinals against the White Caps that, you know, then they really, really want to win an an international trophy because you, you have to remember they, they came close twice Um, 2015. They were of course in the final for the Copa Libertadores and, and narrowly got beaten by oh not narrowly it was 4-1 on aggregate but you know they had they had the chances uh, by river plate and of course last season um they lost to club america in the CONCACAF champions league final so they uh, feel that they overdue. and they have put a lot of money in, into their squad i mean gignac was signed to win them the copa libertadores that was the main motivation behind bringing Gignac in in the first place. And I remember when Gignac first went to Mexico, a lot of people thought that he's only going to stay there short term, win the the trophy and go on to to, um, play elsewhere. But I I think that they are very, very, you know, desperate is the wrong word, but they're very adamant and very very much want to fill that void that they haven't won an international trophy and you know they see themselves as the the biggest team outside of Europe they see themselves as the the biggest team in the Americas and i don't think they can see them they can they can really say that until they actually finally won that international trophy so yeah, I think going back to Pachuca, that 1-1 will probably slightly hurt them. Um, it's probably not an ideal result because you remember in, in, in Preston, you guys had to deal with that. Um, I, I I know that tigers have to do it more often, but altitude, right? Um, you're going from 600 meters to almost 2,400, 2,500 meters. I don't know what that is in feeds. You guys can do the calculation for our American listeners. Um yeah, that, I can. Thanks be, for yeah. assuming that I
0: can, though, <laughs> Preston. That's all you.
2: <laughs> I think it's times three point two or something like that. Okay, you, you guys can throw in a calculator, or our listeners can do it. It's it's a big altitude change, so I think that's going to be a pretty big factor in this.
0: Listeners, yeah, we have faith the- in your mathematical skills, so we'll we'll let you do that. Uh, Preston, what do you think?
1: Uh, yeah, you make a good point. Uh, actually, I did not realize that the first leg was a home match for Tigres, so. Sort of like what I was, uh, sort of like what we were talking about before in the semifinal set. The main concern for Dallas was adjusting to the altitude, and if I'm not mistaken, I think it's roughly around 7,000 feet. If the conversion is appropriate, but that is that is going to be a big uh, difference for Tigres. But if you think about it, they play. I mean, they play each other in the league every year, so I'm sure that they've had to adjust to the to the climate uh, to the to the altitude change. And I'm pretty sure that there's some. I mean, that there's some other stadiums uh, throughout Mexico that are at high altitude. I mean, I know that uh, Mexico City. Yeah, exactly.
2: Queretaro. They all the cities are all the the teams playing in and around Mexico City because there's a whole bunch of them, right? Uh, exactly. So I don't think
1: that the altitude is as big of an issue as it was for yeah. Dallas because is, but, they had to they've had to adjust to altitude changes so much that they're yeah. probably used to it.
2: Which is actually even kind of crazy when you think about that, you know. Um, There's something that we actually really haven't touched on very much in this league in general is the fact how often these teams have to change altitudes. Because you're going from Tijuana, which is at zero, and then you have to play four or five games, you know, at altitude. That's extremely, extremely difficult.
0: Yeah, I mean, we can even talk about it in a, in a later pod. I'll make you guys convert feet to metric system to, I don't know, like yards just for fun. Um, and, and look at, at how this affects both leagues would be fascinating. Um, let's look at the bottom of the table, you guys. Um, and what's going on in relegation. So, uh, and obviously we're talking about the league MX because you know how I feel about how we should have relegation, but that is 97 minutes that we do not have. So, Manu, what is going on down at the bottom of the table?
2: So you know how they just love doing things differently. And we, we've explained sort of how relegation works, right? Um, it's the average points of the last full three seasons so um, or last six half seasons, which would usually make it very difficult. Um, the beauty is this year, uh, Nikaksa, the the team that was newly promoted, they have done very well in the first half of the season. Um, not so great in the second half of the season, but you know, they have done well enough that they, they never flirted with relegation, which means that the teams and currently we have four teams in the relegation battle all have the same amount of games. So they all have played 99 games, which means we can sort of throw away this average point thing. Um, and just look at the total points earned over the last full three seasons, which makes it a lot easier to follow. Um And currently we have Puebla, they're 15th with 118 points. So as I said, they're seven points clear at the moment, uh, which makes them pretty much out of that relegation uh, zone. But they, um Morelia and Chapas, they're 16th and 17th with 112 points each. And then in 18th is Veracruz with 111 points. So with three games to go, these three teams are more or less in a Mexican shootout because um, we've, we've touched on how Morelia in the playoff race, they will have to basically, um, if they won't want to be relegated, they will have to basically make the playoffs because they only that one point ahead of Veracruz and they even won points with Chiapas. So um, when you look at that bottom table, those three teams with the three games left, any one of those three teams could get relegated.
0: Oof, Preston, you know, how anxious are you feeling looking at the bottom of this table? Because it's giving me like football heart palpitations.
1: <laughs> I'm right there with you. Uh, you know, I'm looking at uh, Veracruz's schedule right now. Uh, granted, they only have one; they need to catch up by one point. But I'm looking at their last three games. They're playing Pumas, Monterrey, and Tijuana. Yeah, that's not good. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that is Ew.
0: okay. That's a that's that's a schedule.
1: Uh, that's going to be very difficult for Veracruz. Uh, I was in the process of looking up uh, what the others have, uh, what they have to face. I'm looking at Chiapas right now. Uh, let's see what they have. Carataro, Santos Laguna, and Atlas. So that's not too difficult. Really, my only concern with that one would be Santos Laguna, because uh, Carataro is well out of the Ligier race, and I think... Uh, is Atlas in the league? Here? Yeah,
2: Atlas is right <laughs> smacked in the middle of it. Yeah. Seventh place with 20 points and they're desperately hanging on to it. Yeah, these, so, yep.
0: these are all teams who are going to go at it hard.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: And with Morelia, they have Nicaxa Pumas and Monterey.
2: That's not so. easy either. The first, the Necaxa is basically in the middle of nowhere, right? In the table. Right. Um, so they don't care, but the other two—that's that's some difficult ones. And I mean, keep in mind, Morelia, again, they're playing for the playoffs and against relegation. I just love that. It's just, um, it, it, it's it's just madness in its own way. And uh, I'm really really curious to see how that's going to play out.
1: Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting. Uh, if I was to pick one that I think is going to go down. I'm going with the current one that's in that's last in relegation table, Vera Cruz. They've got, I think they've got the most difficult schedule uh, out of the three options. And I think it's going to be very difficult, difficult for them to get out of that hole.
2: Okay. But here, here it is. Technically, all right. So technically, I'm going to give you all, make everyone's head explode here. Veracruz can still make the playoffs. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Just saying, it's still mathematically possible. So I don't think it's going to happen. Five points in three games to make that up is unlikely, but it's possible. So you have two out of the three teams that are still down there. I mean, technically Chiapas can still make it. It's only six points, but that's maybe a bit too much uh, in in three games. But technically... Well, really speaking,
1: has much chance of making the playoffs, though, and getting... Ready. Oh,
2: it's only two points. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that's, that's just the madness of it. But technically, Veracruz, I, I don't think it's going to happen because remember a few weeks ago, we, we choked about them and how they haven't scored in 581 minutes. And then they did, of course, they scored three beautiful goals. But, um, I, yeah, I don't think Veracruz has a chance, but Morelia, I think has a good chance of making those playoffs, which would be absolutely hilarious. But that's what we love at Liga MX. You know, it's, it's it's a it's such a different beast to the to the leagues that we used to um, or the the leagues that we usually watch when we watch uh, football in Europe or even in in South America and it's definitely very different than Major League Soccer, isn't it?
1: Oh yeah, it's incredibly di- different. And I mean, as we've discussed throughout uh, throughout our time uh, in this pause, that I'm still new to Liga MX and uh, having to adjust how different the league is and uh, how I- I'm just in- impressed with how entertaining it is and uh with all with all this uh with all this drama between the rele- with between the relegation and having a team possibly get relegated and make the playoffs it's it's unparamount to anything else in in the entire world so that's it, it brings a lot of entertainment into the league
0: guys i'm gonna be very mean to you are you ready
2: you're gonna make a stop
0: well, in a in a in a second, but before that, I'm going to make you choose, which is like the worst, meanest thing ever. I'm going to make you choose two things. I'm going to make you choose the MLS match of the week and Preston's already done this, so I'm going to be mean to Manu on this one. I'm going to make you choose who you think is going to be relegated.
2: Oh no! And I'm not going to do
0: either one because I have that power. Okay, so. Uh, Preston, match of the week, MLS, go.
1: I'm going with FC Dallas versus Sporting Kansas City. Of course
0: you are, you biased human, you. Okay.
1: This is completely unbiased, though. (laughs) Both of they're they're second and third in the West, and both teams are unbeaten. All right.
0: Preston, next week, whatever happens, you're not allowed to choose FC Dallas. (laughs) But I'll give it to you this time. I will give it to you. Okay, Preston. Who is getting relegated? You said it already, but I'm make you say it again.
1: Cruz. Their right. battle is way too difficult.
0: Okay. Manu, are you ready? Mm. Match of the week.
2: Just for Major League Soccer, or do I get we... to pick my league?
0: All right, you get to... Uh, yes, pick. Pick your league.
2: Oh, no. This is uh, too much choice. I know, right? I should have not asked. <laughs> <laughs> can I pick one from each?
0: Uh, okay, yes, you can.
2: Because there is the Monterey Derby on the weekend between uh, Monterey and Tigers. And if you are not watching that game, you are a fool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because that is the game that you should be tuning in on. And um, thankfully, the other team game that I'm going to pick is, is Portland against Vancouver. It's the same day, oh, but an earlier guys. time. <laughs> so well it's the cascadia cup right it's two cascadia cup games in, in a row i know so, i love that
0: you fans just created your own cup it's so great i wish we had done the same thing okay good and you ready for the next one who is getting <sighs> relegated
2: damn i thought you forgot
0: <laughs> <laughs> listen i may be jet lagged but i'm not dumb
2: <laughs> uh i i guess you know i'm it's a it's a hot one because Preston already picked Veracruz and it's probably a very good very good bad. Not a good choice, that's harsh, but very good bad So I'm gonna go with Chiapas. I just have have a feeling. Um Chiapas had a lot of financial problems and I just have a feeling that they might be the one that will face the drop.
0: All right. All right. We're well, we're gonna we're gonna see what happens. Um so listen, my friends, um I'm gonna make you do an easy thing and tell us where we can find you on Twitter so that all our listeners can attack you with their feelings and thoughts on this. Uh, Preston Weatherington, where are you at?
1: Yeah, you can give me a follow at pw 116 Uh, You can find uh, this show along with uh, my other show, FCD Talk, uh, Talking All Things FC Dallas. You can find both that on the All In Sports Talk Network. Uh, you can follow them on Twitter at All In Sports talk.
0: Excellent. And we're
1: now listed on
2: MajorLeagueSoccer.com. What?
1: Crazy
2: The page that not only brings us our podcast, but also fake transfer news.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what was What was the fake transfer news of the day, Manu?
2: John Terry to Vancouver.
0: Oh, God. Do you want And him? it
2: was on ML, uh, the official Major League Soccer homepage.
0: I don't think I there want him, to be honest. Um, yeah. Um, Manu, where can we find you?
2: Yeah, you can find me, um, you know, on all my articles that I do at Football Grad Live. And then you can follow me on my personal account at Homo Sovieticus. Give me a shout about this pod, all the other pods that we do at World Football Index, uh, the game pressing podcast that I am on, the Football Grad podcast. If you have any questions, anything that you want us to discuss, or perhaps you have an, a knowledge about the game and you want to jump on. Um, send me a message, you know, everything, everything and every suggestion is always welcome.
0: I think we should give our listeners a question of the week. So what do we think our question of the week is? Should we, should we be really, really mean and ask them who they think is going to be relegated or is that just too terrible?
2: No, I think that is a very good question of the week. I think let us know who's going to get relegated because the other league that we discuss. Doesn't do relegation, apparently.
0: Well, listen, we could do two questions of the week and really wade into this. We could, we could just throw ourselves right in it. So listeners, I'm blaming this question on Manu. Let's blame it on someone who's not here. Let's blame this question on Javier because he's not here. You ready? Listeners, question of the week. Who is going to be relegated? And this is Javier's question. It's really not, but he's not here. So, you know, he's going to be at fault for this one. Should the MLS adopt a promotion and relegation? <laughs> System. I've thrown ourselves right into the pile right now. But again, if we get, if we get it, then, then we're just going to blame it on someone who's not even on this podcast today. So tweet at us. Let us know your thoughts, your feelings, your, you know, angst and anxiety. Um, and we will just absorb all that into our next podcast just remember please don't say the word soccer because we'll have to take all your points away and next time who knows what we're going to talk about because who knows what is going to be happening in major league soccer and Liga mx it is just crazy pants times and we love uh getting to talk about it with you guys so we will see you hear you next time